Right, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, go ahead and open it up and head for 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 24. We'll spend most of our time there. We will dip into 26 towards the end, but most of our time in 24. Now, you know, one thing we all have in common as human beings is that we are all chasing the good life, aren't we? Now, we may have different definitions of what the good life is. So for some of us, the good life would include a certain house, perhaps in a certain neighborhood. Maybe it would include a certain job or a certain salary, a certain level of income. For some of you, the good life maybe would include a good-looking spouse. You know, my wife hit the jackpot in that department, but, (laughs) but her life is not perfect, you know. At the end of the day, the good life for most of us is that we're, we're just simply chasing what we think, what we believe will make us happy. We are, at the end of the day, all happiness chasers, like every last one of us. But the question I wonder this morning is, man, have you ever found yourself in a place in your life that you just never thought you would be in? Like, do you ever just look at your life and think, man, I really thought by now I would have fill in the blank. I thought by now I would be married. I thought by now I would have kids. I thought by now I wouldn't be living in my parents' basement. I thought by now I would not be as broke as a joke. Or maybe it's a spiritual thing. I thought by now my walk with Jesus would be super deep. And yet here I am all these years later and I feel disconnected and I feel distant from God. And so the question that I want us to answer this morning is, what, what do you do when life doesn't pan out the way that you hoped that it would? And does God have anything at all to say to those of us who find ourselves in that place in life, or perhaps, if you're young, for those of us who are going to find ourselves in that place at some point in the future, and the good news is that God absolutely has something to say to us for those of us who have found ourselves in that place. And so if you missed last week, here we are in the story of David's life. David is now on the run for his life. Saul is the king. At this point, Saul is delusional. He's paranoid. He's violent. He's angry. He has just gone mad with jealousy over David. And he is literally hunting David as if he were like an animal in the wilderness. And so somebody tips Saul off of where David is with his men in the wilderness. And he goes out to find and kill David. That's where we're going to pick up 1 Samuel 24. Beginning in verse 2, this is what it says. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men, so the best soldiers in the Israeli army, 3,000 of them, out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of uh, the wild goats' rocks. That's just an area uh, out literally in the middle of nowhere. Verse 3, and he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his man were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Okay, so, so get this. David and his guys, so David's got several hundred guys who have come out and they're supporting him. Several hundred of his closest friends, they, they know that Saul is out hunting for them. And so they're in this large cave apparently. They're, they're hiding from Saul who is hunting them with 3,000 of the special forces in the Israeli army. They're hiding out 
And guess who walks in? Saul walks in. Nature calls. Saul walks right into the cave uh, that they're hiding in to relieve himself. Now, this is, did you know that was in the Bible? Be honest. He walks, in, he walks into the cave to use the bathroom. Now, that's funny, right? For people that say the Bible's boring, I know you've never read the Bible. It's not boring, right? So David and his guys, they're hiding in like the dark crevices of the cave, and they're watching, and they got to be thinking, you got to be kidding me. We're hiding from Saul and his army, and here comes Saul by himself. He doesn't even see us, and he's using the bathroom. This is incredible. Verse 4. And the man of David said to him, so you can just kind of picture they're whispering to David. Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose. Now, some scholars argue here that the Hebrew indicates that David was probably having some form of like internal dialogue, an internal struggle, a debate within himself. He was contemplating whether or not he should kill Saul or not. And then it says, and David stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So David's guys, his friends, they see Saul walk into the cave and they go nuts. They're like, David, God has delivered Saul to you. Like out of all of the caves in Israel, he could choose to go to the bathroom in, in this vast wilderness, he ended up in this cave. Like, David, this is not a coincidence. God wants you to take him out. Saul is trying to kill us. He is making our lives a living hell. David, kill this punk now. So David grabs his knife, and we can kind of imagine David, like army crawling, David Bourne style, over to Saul as he's using the bathroom. And he lifts up his knife, and right at the last second, he grabs his robe, and he just cuts off the corner of the robe. Verse 5. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his man, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing as he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his man with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. They're ready to take Saul out. Like, David, if you're not gonna do it, we're gonna take him out. And Saul's like, no, no, you're not. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. David is immediately convicted. He's convicted perhaps because he came that close to killing Saul. Maybe he's convicted that he even considered taking him out. Maybe he's, he's convicted that he even cut off a piece of his robe, the corner of his robe. So David looks at his guys and he says, guys, God, God has allowed Saul to be king. And I am not going to raise my hand against him. And listen to me, none of you guys better touch him either. Now, let me, let me pause the story right there just for a second because I think it's important that we see that as, as believers, we need, we listen, we need to be very, very careful that we don't make the same mistake that David's friends made in this cave. Do not mistake the circumstances of your life for the voice or the will of God in your life. Now, I, I hear this a lot, and I'm sure that I've been guilty of this as well uh, more than one time in my life, but here's, here's the kind of thing that we do. And at, at the end of the day, it's the same exact thing David's friends were doing in that cave. This is the kind of thing we do. 
I, I know that I can't afford that new car, but by golly, man, I just, I just drove by the dealership and they have the exact model, the exact trim package in my favorite color. That must be a sign from God. Like, I know I won't be able to pay for that thing. I know that I won't be able to pay my bills. I know that I will not be able to invest in God's kingdom the way that he has called me to, but this is too much to be a coincidence. This must be God's will. Or here, here's one that I've heard more than one time. I know, I know I shouldn't leave my husband and he hasn't done anything to cause me to leave him, but man, there's this new guy at work and man, he just gets me. He just makes me feel appreciated, and plus he says he's a Christian, and after all, doesn't God just want me to be happy? This has to be God's will in my life. Or how, or how, about, how about this one? A lot of us can relate to this. Like, man, went to the doctor, got my yearly physical, and he said I need to shed a few pounds, man. So I, I got to lose a little bit of weight, and so we're, we're eating healthy, and we're making good choices, and we're exercising, and then we find ourselves at a restaurant, and we're like, dang, they have my favorite bacon cheeseburger with like the apple smoked bacon on there. Like, this is God's little gift to me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This is just your little, your little sign to me that I need to eat this bacon cheeseburger. Listen, friend, do not equate your circumstances with the voice of God in your life. That is fool's gold, man. It is like an alcoholic driving by a bar on the way home and saying, well, since God allowed that bar to be there, that's my sign from God that it's okay. No, that sign is not from God. That's a sign that you're just being a moron. Stop it. And so we, and so we just figure out ways to justify sin in our life by equating our circumstances to the will of God. Do you want to know how you can find the will of God? There are two primary ways. The first is you find God's will in your life through his word. God will never contradict his word. And the second way you figure out God's will in your life is through his people. And so if you are, if you are not in the word and you are not seeking wise counsel from mature believers, you are really going to struggle to find and follow God's will for your life which is one reason why we constantly beat the drum of community groups from this stage. Because the hope is, when you're getting ready to do something really dumb in your life, hopefully somebody in your life, somebody in your group is gonna say to you in love, stop being a dummy. You can't afford that car. You shouldn't leave your husband. You shouldn't eat that bacon cheeseburger, Mr. Chubby Cheeks, right? By the way, the cheeseburger illustration is my biggest temptation. And so if you see me eating a bacon cheeseburger, feel free to call me chubby cheeks. Shame me into good behavior, right? Just don't do that with your kids. It'll mess them up. All right, do not equate your circumstances with the voice of God in your life. Now, before we move on, I want to take about 60 seconds, and I just want to speak to our, our teens in our, in our young singles for a minute because, listen, I, I see this and I hear this a lot. I don't care how cute he is. I don't care how hot you think she is. I don't care how funny they are or how much you think you have in common with them. If they are not following Jesus, it is not God's will for you to be with them, period, the end. 
If I had a dollar for every time I had to counsel somebody in a broken, miserable marriage, and I hear, man, I just thought I could change them, Chris. I just thought I could change them. I thought eventually they would come around, they would fall in love with Jesus, and we'd want to be a part of a faith community together and raise our kids in church together. Listen, Scripture is crystal clear. As believers, we are not to be unequally yoked. And this is not God being a cosmic jerk. This is his love and his protection to you and over you. Young people, find someone running hard after Jesus and run hard with them. That, that's the guy, that's the gal that you may want to date. Follow God in his word. Seek advice from his people in the church. Do not equate your circumstances to God's will or his voice in your life. That would be a tragic mistake. All right, rant over. Back to the narrative. David goes, all Jason born, <laughs> crawls up to, to Saul as he's doing his business and cuts off the corner of his robe. Now, that, I just find that hilarious. Anyway, it says David's heart, when he did this, David's heart struck him. He's convicted. He's convicted that he's taken matters into his own hands. And, and here, here's what I want you to see from that. This is the, the big idea. If you walk out of here with nothing else, walk out of here with this. The big idea of the whole message is this. The good life is found on the other side of trusting God. Okay? Now, I'm about to give you four truths that all flow from this one truth and all point back to this one truth. The good life, when I say the good life, we're not talking about an easy life. But the life that we all deep down desire, the life of value, the life of meaning, a life that matters, a life of chasing something out bigger than ourselves, that life is found as we learn to trust God and walk with him. And I want to show you several key truths about trusting God and finding the good life as we look at David's life. Here's point number one. Trust in God leads to sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Now David cuts off the corner of Saul's robe and the scriptures tell us that his heart is absolutely wrecked because he realized that he stepped outside of trusting God even just for a moment. Now the guys that are with him, his friends are undoubtedly thinking, David, what is wrong with you, you freak? You know, we, we've been waiting for this opportunity. We just had a chance to take Saul out and get rid of all the problems in our life and you just blew it. Now, maybe you're like me, as I was studying this week, and my first thought was like, man, what's the big deal? He just cut off the corner of, of his robe. That's not, a, that's not a big deal. If I was there, I probably would have killed him. He should be feeling good about himself. Listen, this is why it's a big deal, and this is why it's important. When we don't trust God, we begin to take things into our own hands. We begin to try to control and manipulate our circumstances, things in our life, people in our lives, and in doing all of that, if we're not careful, we can begin to lose our sensitivity to hear the Holy Spirit of God. And listen, this is a big deal because it's the Spirit who guides us as believers. It's the Spirit who convicts us, confronts us in our sin. It's the Spirit who comforts us, right? And when we quench his work in our hearts, we choose to trust in ourselves instead of trusting in God. See, David's lifestyle of trusting God allowed him to be incredibly sensitive to the Spirit of God. And when he stepped outside of that trust, his heart was absolutely wrecked. 
Listen, as a, as a believer, you need that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God in your life. I need that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God in my life. And you find that sensitivity as you begin to, to trust in God and walk with him. Instead of trying to control everything in your life, manipulate people and circumstances and all the things that we try to do when we put ourselves on the thrones of our own lives. And one more thing before we move on. David had a choice to make in that cave. And really, at the end of the day, it's the same choice that most of us get to make every single day of our lives. And the choice is this. Do, do I take shortcuts to get where I want to go in life, or do I trust God in his timing? Now, remember, David had been anointed as king. Saul was wearing his crown. Saul was sitting on his throne while trying to kill him. It would have been really easy for David to take a shortcut, just take Saul out in that cave and walk out of that cave as king that very day. In fact, almost everyone would have understood and even celebrated that decision by David. But David wasn't interested in the shortcut. He wasn't interested in the compromise to get what he wanted faster. And the reality is you're going to be tempted to take shortcuts in your life. You're going to be tempted to compromise in your life as well. In fact, I would just guess probably a lot of you are sitting there right there, right here, right now in that moment considering whether you're going to take that shortcut in your life or not. Young ladies, let me just speak to you for a minute. You get in that situation where you want to, you want to get that boyfriend or you got that boyfriend, you want to keep that boyfriend, you're going to be tempted to compromise. You're going to be tempted to take that shortcut. You're going to be tempted to sell out on your sexual purity that you know God has called you into. Or maybe you're here right now and you're a person that financial security, man, and that's just super important to you. Tax season's coming up, man. You're going to be tempted to fudge just a little bit on your taxes. We justify it, right? Well, the government gets too much of my money anyway, and they don't even know how to spend what they got. They're not going to miss this. I'm just going to just going to fudge the numbers here a little bit. I'm not going to add this in over here a little bit, right? Are you still from your workplace? Justify it by saying, man, they, they owe me way more than that in unpaid overtime. Maybe you're married and you're just not feeling emotionally fulfilled or sexually fulfilled or whatever it is, man. You're going to be tempted to take a shortcut. You're going to be tempted to pursue an affair or dabble in pornography. Man, it is a slippery slope. And I'm just here to tell you, the good life that you're looking for isn't found in the shortcut. It's in the long road of trust in God and obeying his ways that will lead you to the life that you're really looking for. Verse 8. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the King. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of man who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. 
May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, a flea? David's saying, listen, Saul, I'm nobody. I've never been a threat to you. You're out here hunting me down for no reason. Verse, uh, verse 15, may the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. And so David comes charging, picture this. Saul walks out, he does his business, walks out. David comes charging out of the cave and he bows down and he says, hey Saul, like why, why are you coming after me? I had the chance to kill you. Look, here's, here's the corner of your robe. I could have shanked you in that cave and taken you out, but I didn't. Why do you hunt me? Why are you hunting me like I'm a dog or a flea? I'm a nobody, Saul. I will never raise my hand against you. And I will trust God to deliver me from your hand. Now, just think how crazy bold this was of David to do. Saul is standing there with 3,000 of his best soldiers trying to kill David. And David just walks right out into the daylight and says, Hey, Saul, I got this corner of your robe right here, brother. Stop hunting me. God is going to take care of me. Where does this type of boldness come from? Saul easily could have killed David right there on the spot. In fact, odds are pretty good that that's exactly what was going to happen. So here's the second thing that I want you to see here about trust. Number two, trust in God activates an uncommon boldness in our lives. See, David knew the promises of God well. David trusted God's promise that one day he would be king. And this level of trust, this level of faith in God, produced this uncommon boldness in David's life that made him an incredible leader and allowed God to use him in some pretty unbelievable ways. Now, all that to say this. If you find in yourself, if you sense in yourself this constant sense of timidity and fear. So this is kind of self-examination time. Now, look, I understand we, we all experience anxieties at times. We all experience different fears in our lives at times. Uh, that's normal. You would be weird if that never happened to you. But I, I'm just saying, look, like, if this is one of the defining characteristics of your life, that you just live with a constant sense of timidity or fear or anxiety, look, I would, just, I would humbly ask you to consider where you're at this morning in your trust level with God. I found at times in my life when I tend to be more gripped by anxiety or fear, I can look back at those seasons and I can clearly see I was not walking in trust. And I can also, on the same token, I can also look back at seasons in my life where I was living and, and leading boldly and see, yeah, I was walking in complete trust of God. See, trust in God activates this uncommon boldness in our lives. And Saul, by the way, Saul sees this and he's moved. He's actually moved by David's compassion. He leaves. He allows David to leave. That, of course, doesn't last for long. Turn over to chapter 26 really quickly. So two chapters later, Saul decides to go, go after David again. He's just driven by this rage and jealousy over David. So he takes 
again, 3,000 of his best soldiers. They're out in the wilderness hunting David again. This time, David has spies out. He hears that, that Saul is out there looking for him. And this time, instead of hiding in a cave, David makes a beeline for Saul's camp. So he's there with his guys. They're, you kind of picture them in a, in a mountain, kind of overlooking the valley. And Saul's there with his 3,000 soldiers. Night falls, waits for him to, to kind of fall asleep. And then David takes one of his friends named Abishai, and they go down into the camp. The scriptures tell us that Saul was sleeping in the middle of the, in, in the, middle of the camp. And so you had basically this idea of uh, 3,000 soldiers sleeping in circles around Saul to provide him uh, protection. And right by his head, the scriptures tell us that Saul had a water jug and he had his spear stuck in the ground. Just in case something happened, he could grab his spear really quick and fight off anyth- anything or anybody that was coming after him. And the Bible says, man, uh, the, the whole army that night fell into a very deep sleep. God put them into a very deep sleep. And so it's this idea of God kind of sprinkling some holy ambient into their water jugs. And they are knocked out. They're sleeping hard. They're not going to wake up. So David and Abishai, they, they sneak down there. They go David born again. They're sneaking down there, weaving through 3,000 soldiers, all asleep on the ground. They get to Saul, who's right in the middle, and they're standing there, and they're looking at Saul by their feet with a spear right by his head. And David's friend, Abishai, just whispers to David, like, man, let me have him. I'm David, I just need one shot. I promise I'm not going to need two. Give me one shot. I'm going to take him out. I'm going to take care of him. And David's like, nope. We're not, we're not going to touch Saul. God is going to take care of Saul in his timing. We're not going to touch him. So what they do is they, they take Saul's water jug and they take his spear and they sneak out of camp. And here's what I want you to see here. David has now had two golden opportunities to take matters into his own hand to rid himself of all of his problems by killing Saul, and yet he refuses. The question is why? Here's why. Write this down. This is truth number three. Trust in God allows us to wait on his timing. Trusting in God allows us to wait on his timing. And this is huge for us. This is huge for us because most of us, we tend to blow up our lives as we try to get ahead of God. I mean, isn't this so true? We get impatient because we're way down here in life and we want to be way over here in life. And we go, God, you know, uh, listen, God, I love you, but uh, let me just help you out a little bit. God, you're working just a little bit slowly, God. I, there's a faster way. I got a shortcut. Let me show you where it's at. Right? And so, we, and so we jump into relationships that we have no business jumping into. We take shortcuts financially, ethically, morally, sexually, whatever it is. Instead of trusting in God and waiting on his timing in our lives. And we just blow stuff up in our lives every single time like clockwork. I remember as a, a freshman in college, I had, um, I had this girlfriend. And by the way, girls, never date a guy who's going to be a pastor because you're going to end up in all kinds of sermon illustrations. But I had this, this girlfriend my freshman year in college, and we dated uh, for like a year. And I was a kid, man. I thought I was in love. I didn't know what love was. But I, I was in this relationship, and I thought, 18, 19-year-old kid, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry her. And so we, even, we talked about marriage. We talked about, man, well, we're going to graduate in two or three years. We're going to get married. We're going to have this life. And, uh, and then I decided to, to start following Jesus in my life. And everything fell apart, right? Because we were, at that point, we were heading in completely different directions. We had nothing in common anymore. And so we broke up. And I remember just feeling devastated at that loss. 
I remember, I, just, I even remember being angry at God. Like, God, this is, I follow you, and, and you just like rip everything out of my life. And not, not more than a year and a half later, I transferred, went to another college, and I met a beautiful girl who is now my wife. And I, and I can now look back and say, thank you, God, for not giving me that shortcut. Thank you for not giving me what I thought I wanted. Thank you for allowing me not to, not to compromise and take the shortcut to get where I thought I wanted to be in life when you had a better plan for me all along. Trust in God allows us to wait on his timing. Watch what happens next. This is uh, 1 Samuel 26, beginning in verse 14. All right, so they just, uh, he, David and Abishai, they've just gone in, taken the water jug, taken Saul's spear. They've escaped the camp now. Verse 14, and David called to the army, and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, will you not answer Abner? Now, Abner is, he's Saul's military commander. Uh, Abner is a, is a bad dude, right? He's a military veteran. He's this violent guy. He's not the dude you want to be messing with. Then Abner answered, who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord and king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your lord, this thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in the jar of water that was at his head. David's like taunting Abner, right? You can just see these guys kind of yelling at each other across the valley. Verse 17, Saul recognizes David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son David? Like what a fraud, right? <laughs> Trying to hunt him and kill him. He hears his voice. He's like, my son, David, come to me. Of course, David's not an idiot. It's verse 18. So he said, why does, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, then, now therefore, let my Lord the king hear these words of his servant. If it is the Lord that has stirred, up, uh, stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Verse 20, now therefore, let not my blood fall on the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Now here's what just happened. David, for the second time now, is extending mercy and forgiveness to the man who stole his wife. That happened, you can go back and read that in 1 Samuel, and is trying to murder him. So the guy that stole his wife, trying to murder him, now for the second time, David is giving him mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And here's the principle I want you to get from that. This is our last point this morning. We'll begin to land the plane. Uh, point number four, trust in God releases us from revenge and liberates us to forgive freely. Which means, friend, when people wrong you, when people betray you, when people wound you, like the weight of that injustice is not on your shoulders. You don't have to carry the, the weight of that. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says as he writes a letter to the church in, in Rome. This is what Paul says. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is freedom, friends. To feel like the burden is not on us to like get people back. To get revenge when they betray us or hurt us. To correct every false thing that gets said about us. Just to release it to God and trust that God is going to be like, look, watch, I'm going I'm to take care of it for you. You don't have to fight this battle. I'm going to fight it on your behalf. You just trust me. See, friend, almost, almost all of our sin is rooted in a fundamental lack of trust in God. Because when you trust in God, you will begin to live with a sense of confident boldness like David did. You will begin to live with this kind of this process in our lives of just confidently being able to rest and wait on God's timing in our lives. We'll be free from this idea that we have to seek revenge, that we have to correct injustices in our lives. We begin to live lives that are full of grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Now, we don't have time to to read all this, but if you go back to chapter 24, Saul is so moved, in fact, by David's compassion and forgiveness that he begins to weep. The scriptures tell us that Saul begins to weep loudly. Saul's just, he's broken under the weight of David's grace and forgiveness. Listen, church, forgiveness is powerful. Forgiveness is powerful. And only a full-throttled trust in God allows us to live and love other people in this way. As we wrap it up this morning, I think one of the dangers for us when we have messages like this one is that oftentimes we can leave feeling like, man, Chris, that, that's all good and well, but I could never live like that. Talking about trusting in God and all of these things and how David lived his life and forgave again and again and trusted God, waited on his timing, all these things. Like, those are really good ideas on paper, Chris, but like, I don't have it in me to live that type of life. And so, if you're not careful, you could actually leave here feeling defeated. <laughs> and so, here, here's, what I, here's what I want you to see as, as we close David wasn't perfect, <laughs> not by a long shot. In chapter 21, we, uh, we read this, of this time where David actually, he lies to a priest to get some food because he's hungry. In chapter 25, he gets so mad because some jerk named Nabal insults him that he gets his posse ready and they almost go and kill him. We're going to watch in a couple weeks together as David fails in the most spectacular, tragic way imaginable. See, David isn't perfect, David wasn't sinless. We all have lapses, but here's the question for us. What do you do when that happens in your life? Do you just wallow in your sin? Do you just embrace it? Or like David, is your heart wrecked? Do you repent of it? Do you run back to the gospel of Jesus and cling to him and just confess like, God, I need you. There is no way I can live the life you're calling me to live in my own strength. I can't even trust you the way that I'm supposed to trust you. God, I need you to help me trust you.
God, I need you to help me wait on your timing. I need you to help me not take shortcuts, not compromise. God, I need you to release me from these feelings of revenge and bitterness. God, I need you to fill me with your kind of love and compassion and forgiveness, even to those who have harmed me and betrayed me, even to my enemies. Now, here's the deal. The bad news is that you can't live this life that God is calling you to just by trying harder. You can't. I want you to leave this morning with some gospel hope, and I want you to understand that our hope is rooted in the fact that though we are completely incapable of living this way in our own strength, Jesus has already done it for us. He has already done it for us. And it's as we learn to walk with him, as he begins to shape our hearts and our minds through his power, through his spirit, he begins to live this kind of life out in our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not where you thought you would be in life. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, I, my life has been one bitter disappointment after another. Maybe you're a place in your life right now where you're, you're just being tempted. You're just being tempted to take a shortcut in your life. You're being tempted to compromise, to not wait on God's timing in your life, to not trust God to give you the good life that he has for you. Listen, that good life that you're looking for is found in trusting God. Through the disappointments, through the lapses, through the failures, pointing back, clinging to the gospel of Jesus every single time. I came across this quote from a a pastor in Minneapolis, John Piper, this morning. I want to share this with you. This is what he said. Occasionally weep deeply over the life you hoped would be. Grieve the losses Then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life you have. Listen, just as David spared Saul's life when Saul deserved nothing less than to die, Jesus spared our lives when we deserved nothing less than death and hell. Just as David forgave Saul when he didn't deserve forgiveness, Jesus forgives all all of those who would call on his name. David is ultimately pointing us to Jesus, the greater king. And this whole thing is not about you trying harder. It's about you trusting in the one who can do this in and through you. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I just want you to know you can start your journey with him today. You don't have to leave here with that unsettled. In fact, we're about to sing, and as soon as we're done singing, we're going to have several people right up here in front. And if you don't know Jesus, you want to start that journey with him. That's why we're here. We want to talk to you about it. We want to pray with you about it. And if you're here and you know Jesus and you're following Jesus, just encourage you, let let God's word, let the truths that we've looked at in his word just propel you into trusting him at a whole new level. Maybe like you've never trusted God before in your life in 2019. Let me pray for us, then we'll sing. Father, Father, would you teach us what it means to really...
impress into you? Would you teach us what it really means, what it really looks like in our lives to actually trust you? Not just say that we trust you, but to trust you with the way that we live our lives, God. And Father, would you show us, would you just give us a little glimpse of your, of your glory, of your beauty, of your goodness? Would you give us that glimpse, God, so that it would be foolish for us to live in any other way but then trusting you completely? God, we know we can't do this on our own. We know that we need Jesus to do this in us. We don't have the capacity to live this way, to trust you this way, to love other people this way, to forgive this way. But you do, God. And we know that in Jesus, we can, we can live powerful lives like this. God, and so our prayer, our collective prayer as New Life Church this morning is, God, help us trust you. And we ask this in the name above every other name, the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing.